Welcome to Top of the Game with Javier Sade, where we talk to amazing people that are shaping the world. These lightning round talks explore what makes remarkable leaders tick. Thinkers and doers pushing humankind forward and at the top of their games. Impactful insights, global perspectives, valuable wisdom you can use every day in your life and work. This is Top of the Game. Enjoy today's episode. Here's Javier. Today, Lakpa Rita Sherpa, one of the most amazing people I have ever met. My next guest is not only at the top of the game, he's literally been to the top of the world. Lakpa has summited Everest 17 times and has summited the seven tallest peak in every single continent in the world. He's an incredible human being whose first attempt at Sherpaing resulted in a massive avalanche. I won't say more about Lakpa because I want you to listen to this incredible conversation. Enjoy. So Lakpa, a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Great to be here with you as well. Your, I mean, your your background and the stuff you've done is truly legendary and amazing. And, and I really want to give a picture of somebody like you that has conquered so many summits and challenges but let's start at the beginning tell me a little bit about your you know your origin your childhood where did you grow up yeah i was a grown up in a town called thami which is uh which is a high in himalayas in nepal uh close to uh everest regions about a 12,500 to 13,000 feet uh growing up with uh eight siblings while i was growing up uh the school uh Oh, sorry about that, but uh, that, while my parents are growing up there, they didn't have an option to go to school and stuff like that. And the school that was uh, uh, built uh, after 1960, uh, Sir Edmund Hillary has, after they summited Everest, uh, the Edmund Hillary built a uh, quite a few schools in my hometown. Yep. Uh, that school was up to seventh grade, and uh, my hometown has a school third grade school, uh, when I was uh, uh, going to the seventh grade school, I had to hike about uh, four hours each way. Uh, I did that for about uh, four years, and I went to high school, which is uh, about a three days hike uh, down further lower, where I spent 10 months uh, during the school time and then come back home uh, during the winter. Uh, but uh, my parents has given a, a birth of 11 kids. Three didn't survive. Among them, two of them, uh, uh, three of them, three of the boys didn't survive. Uh, those who survived, among them, myself, my brother, and six sister, uh, we are all, they're all alive now. Uh, I'm the oldest son, uh, third, uh, third kid from the families. But uh, after 1984, uh, my father was a mountain guide as well, and he wasn't able to do what he is doing for a living, supporting to uh, our family because of he got a frostbite on his foot and hand. He lost a few of his toes and finger. So, being an older son, uh, I had to take over. Take over. Uh, so the only options to uh, support my uh, families uh, 
to choose a, a Sherpa or a mountain guide to carrying loads up and down, helping climbers carrying load up and down on the mountain. The the fact that you walked four hours each way to school, and just a remarkable, uh, just a remarkable upbringing. What year did uh, did you start sherping when your dad had the had the issue? What year was that? Yeah, I started. I finished my high school in nineteen eighty four, and then um, uh, my uh, my dad has that issue a year before uh, eighty three. Uh, so I, right after I finished my high school. Uh, my dad uh, coordinated with his uh, uh, cousin and uh, provided me a job, uh, work uh, uh, as a sheriff, uh, carrying a loads up and down on Everest. So I jumped right after I uh, finished my high school in 1984. So you started as a Sherpa at the tallest mountain in the world. Is that the first the, the first Sherpaing you did was at Everest? Yeah, before that, I have worked a few trips with my dad uh, as a trekking, which is a, with the hikers, but I never had a mountaineering experience. And then uh, when I started uh, to go to Everest, uh, my cousin's team gave me a one-week training uh, in a base camp, and that's all I had. Uh, let's talk about the first time you you did it. I mean, obviously, you were already an accomplished hiker, trekker and probably have done more by then than most people do in a lifetime. Tell me a little bit about your first experience going up the tallest mountain in the world. Yeah, the, I didn't have a much, I didn't have a, a much idea. I didn't have a many experience. And, uh, but uh, basically my dad asked to his cousin because he, he could not do it. And then we need, uh, my cousin need to provide a job to me so I can take over. So my cousin hired me and we went to base camp. But then the team provide all of the gears, which is a great thing. I don't have to buy gears and stuff like that. But uh, they trained me one week at base camp, which is basically, you know, how to use the rope, how to use a sender and and then uh, walk and uh, stuff like that. Uh, but I, I did pretty good uh, getting up to Camp 3. And then, unfortunately, you know, a friend of mine and I got stuck in avalanche. Uh, uh, so that was it. Uh, we were not able to go beyond that. But uh, the thing is, both my friend is a little bit more experienced than myself. He did a few expeditions before, but uh, we, did a, we did a big mistake. Uh, there was a couple of feet of snowfall. And then right after the snowfall, uh, we went up to carry a load. Uh, the ropes are buried about a couple feet below the snow, and we're using we're taking a turn and uh, pulling the rope rope as we climb. Uh, but uh, my friends say, "Oh, this is too too tiring. Our hands are getting sore. So let's let's do something different." So we our backpack set our backpack up and then we just both of us holding the rope and pulling the rope up in uh, counting in three uh which is that thing we did we didn't even know that that is going to happen but uh anyhow it triggered avalanche uh both of us took about uh, uh three to four hundred feet down uh but luckily we both survived and that was it for my first expeditions I mean, I don't even know where to begin. That is, talk about challenge, talk about uh, grit, talk about 
determination, how high you talked about camp three and for the listeners that are not super familiar with how tall is, uh, what's the elevation of camp three at what, at what elevation did this avalanche happen? Yeah. The elevations of camp three is about 24,000 feet and we're getting close to it at maybe 23,000 or 500 feet. We're about a few hundred feet shy from camp. Uh, and then it took us quite a uh, uh, down, but uh, both of us been lucky. The avalanche, there was a little hump where uh, we both uh, uh, stopped. So, Lakpa, it's incredible. First of all, the experience. Second of all, that you survived this this horrible situation. Um, let's talk a little bit about the lessons. Uh, just, you know, I know you've summited. How many times have you summited Everest? Can you remind the listeners? Yeah, I have summited Everest 17 times. And the and I think you've done all seven peaks, correct, in the Himalayas, the tallest seven mountains in the world? Yeah, this uh, is called uh, Seven Summit, highest peak in every continent. And I was the first Sherpa in Nepalese to do it. Which is a singular I... achievement for sure. Um, Thank you. Talk a little bit about just, I don't want to get too much into the technicals of mountaineering as much as I want to, Okay. Uh, um, but just a little bit about over time, we all get better at what we do, mostly because we're making mistakes along the way and you self-correct. Just tell me a little bit about how experiences over a lifetime doing something that is so difficult has taught you? Yeah, you know, uh, just talk a little bit about after the, after the avalanche. Uh, I, was, uh, no, I wasn't able to climb anymore after that avalanche and I stay in base camp. But end of the expeditions, I decided that that is not, not for me. I was so scared and I thought, no, this is it. I may not climb again, but but the other thing is, I go home and there's no other options. So looking for work, supporting to the family of ten, and then I have to keep doing this. Uh, I've been uh, uh, to Dolgiri with the French Army team. They taught me quite a few things. And 1990, basically, I was uh, working with a Yugoslavian team, Andre Strempel, one of the most uh, accomplished. Uh, climbers from Yugoslavia. Uh, so uh, he hired about a six Sherpas working with him, including myself. Uh, uh, my English was a, a little bit better uh, than everybody else. It's not good as today, but I still I can communicate with them and they yeah. asked me to work with them as a rope, uh, uh, working on a rope, fixing lines and opening route and stuff like that. So I learned so much from them, which is great. And then uh, 1990, uh, I met a, my former uh, employee boss, uh, Todd uh, Burleson's, which is, uh, uh, he owns Alpine Essence. So uh, 1990, I met him and uh, 1992, he gave me opportunity to come to US to get a train so I got a, quite a bit of training here, uh, you know, uh, so that helps a lot. Uh, but over, overall, during those expeditions, I always uh, keen to learn new things, keen to 
uh, uh, do better. And I always focus with it, uh, what I do and uh, learn from the climbers. And they always taught me what to do. Uh, if something goes wrong, this and that. And then I got better and better. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, by then, we didn't have any mountaineering schools back in my home country so they can train. So I need to learn it with the team, uh, which I did. And yeah, that's how I learned a lot from climbers. But today, the, uh, the Sherpas uh, who works on this uh, field, they're very lucky they have a, uh, they have a mountaineering school uh, known as uh, uh, Alex Law uh, Foundations or Kumbo Climbing Schools, they can graduate from there, they can learn from there, uh, which is great opportunity for them, but which I never had it. So, but again, I learned a lot from the teams, uh, watching and listening and asking. Well, you were a pioneer and it makes, you know, people that are blazing trails usually don't have the benefit of number one experience. Number two is the, the school you were talking about Uh, now in Nepal, that makes it easier for people to train. I mean, if you're going to climb Everest, you might as well train near Everest and not have to come to the United States. Where did you Where did you train in the United States when you came in? When you came in '92, which were you in the Rockies? Like, what, what mountains were you in? Well, when I come here, I come to Seattle because the company is based in Seattle, Alpine SNS, and then they brought me here and they trained me on Mount Baker. Um, most of the train are basically, you know, travel uh, rescue, uh, self-arresting, um, you know, navigations, map, compass navigations, and and then uh, a bottle avalanche, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, the... Just talk a little bit about just mountaineering and sort of what it represents, right? You're conquering huge challenges. You're persevering. It's extremely difficult. You can't breathe. I mean, there's all kinds of things that that uh, that are so difficult in, in endeavors like this. And you described, when you described this, you were talking about how you did it to make a living. And a lot of people in the West, the United States included, that want to climb Everest, it's not because they want to make a living, it's because they want to, like, you know, achieve a goal. Um, how do you, how has your view of, um, of climbing mountains and achieving these things have changed over time since you started when your dad had the misfortune to today? Just a little bit of the difference. Yeah, it's a huge difference. Uh, basically, uh, when I started, uh, or my dad generations, there's no commercial expedition that exists at all. Uh, also, uh, it's not only that, also the gear was, there's a lot of things, has, gear has been changed. Mm -hmm. Those days, they didn't have a good gear. They have to use a woolen Uh, gears and leather boots and wooden ice axe and everything, pretty heavy stops. Today, uh, if you talk about the gear, everything is pretty, uh, pretty light, very 
uh, uh, lightweights. You know, the boots are very lightweights. They're built up with the gaiters and yeah. crampons are very easy to attach. Uh, One-touch crampons and ice axes are very light. And all of the gears like Gore-Tex or, or Waterproof, Oliver, everything is very lightweight. And then it's just, uh, it's just a, a very uh, uh, unique that how uh, the mountaineering gear has been changed over the year. But at the same time, uh, uh, the, the commercials, boom. Uh, now, when I started working, there will be maybe one or two teams on Everest climbing, trying to climb. They are not commercial at all. They can be sponsored by country. They can be sponsored by club. Uh, they can be sponsored by union or they can be sponsored by some company and stuff like that. And also the people who come to climb, they are well prepped. Uh, there are uh, pretty extreme climbers. Uh, but today, uh, because of the commercials, uh, uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, different type of climbers. Many of them know what they're doing, but there are quite a few. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't have experience. They just don't know how to use a crampon and stuff like that. I've seen people on average, uh, first, uh, uh, no, they never, never been to climb any other mountain and they're trying to climb Everest, which is pretty, uh, pretty scary. Uh, and then uh, uh, you probably seen the media uh, always, you know, how crowded on their, you know, overall uh, commercials. Uh, expeditions got boomed and there are so many people trying to climb. Uh, so there's, those are the huge changes uh, between since I started. Uh, no. Yeah, you you know, I was gonna ask about this issue uh where you know you're hit you you're basically getting at taking outsized risk and not mitigating or preparing fully. And you know, yes, the media has covered this this crazy crowds uh trying to summit Everest and you know the debts have gone up and all these things, but it's because there's a lot of people that are trying to do it, and it's remarkable to me that you uh, that you have seen that that you know it's people trying to do their first mountain and they go to the tall. It's it's crazy to me. Um, how do you, you know, as a leader, um, how do you think about um, sort of putting a little bit more control on this? Yeah, I mean. Uh... Uh, like you say, uh, there's a good side and bad side for sure. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, as a as a guy, as a leader, you know, I, a lot of times when I'm there, we always focus uh, to stay away from the crowd. Uh, you have to be patient. You have to be. Uh, you know, you don't need to be jumped right where the windows are open. Uh, so we ha we have done that quite a few times and we get our mountain to ourselves. But again, the crowd is still there, a lot of people going there uh, to uh, minimize the crowd, you know, uh, uh, might be great idea. Uh, but uh, again, if you minimize the crowd, the people who 
are uh, working there, they're going to lose their job uh, same time. But like five, six years ago, 2013, when we have a big accident on Manaslu, yep. I come up with the idea to Minister of Tourism, telling them, just give a, just make a uh, like requirement. Those who comes to climb Everest, they need to make a, some sorts of requirement, which is basically anyone who wants to go climb Everest, they has to have uh, at least participate at least one of the 8,000 meter peak, which means that more of the people will be going to climb 8,000 meter peak. That means they have they will be creating same number of job to those who are, are dependent on it. And same time you can minimize the number one errors. So it doesn't uh, impact uh, much to those people who are, who are uh, based on what they're doing. So what I meant is basically they have same amount of a job and then there are less number of people on average, or they will be sailing more of the over 8,000 meter peak. But overall, they say, so yeah, we're going to do imply this, uh, this role and this and that, but overall it been almost six, seven years, maybe more, uh, they didn't even uh, put their rules yet, imply their rules yet. Uh, they, only they did was, uh, you know, if they climb like six to seven, 6,500 meter peak, and they say it is a qualified. But it's, uh, again, I know it's uh, sad to see, uh, you know, losing uh, people on the summit day because of the crowd and this and this. But... I mean, our government has to do something so it doesn't impact to uh, those uh, who depend on this job. Uh, and also, it doesn't build much of a crowd uh, on Everest. Uh, so that might be one option, but who knows what's going to be happening in the future. Yeah, I mean, what you describe is continues to just baffle baffle me because... You know, if you think about the kind of the very best athletes in the world, you're by far one of the best mountaineers in the world. You start, uh, you know, Michael Jordan didn't become Michael Jordan immediately. He started playing, you know, he played in high school. He went to college. Little by little, mm -hmm. you become the best. And it seems to me like some people are taking shortcuts but really, I want to talk, this is going towards mentality and philosophy. Um, now that you're a, I mean, a renowned teacher and trainer, uh, besides the physical stuff that is involved in climbing any mountain or running any marathon or doing anything that takes a lot of physical exertion, you got to have the right mindset. So how do you maybe describe a little bit about your own mindset and philosophy and how do you impart that on your on the people you're training? If you talk about Everest, uh, like say uh, we have a requirement, you know, people has, people, a lot of the company, maybe they don't, but uh, quite a few companies, they do have that requirement. We 
ask them what they have done before, what uh, what level of uh, uh, monitoring experience they had. Those are the things we po- focus on it. Uh, but like say, if someone who haven't climbed Everest and they want to go there, uh, I definitely will give them a, a suggestions uh, so they can uh, go step by step. Uh, basically, you know, learning how to how to using crampon, uh, learning uh, how to using a rope, uh, getting uh, into elevations, and starting with a small mountain, and then increasing up to like you know six seven thousand meter peak. Those who don't have option to getting seven six seven seven thousand meter peak, I mean the uh, in here US you don't have options, but you at least can do quite a few other stuff like you know going to Rainier. Rainier is a great uh, great place to train. It has a glaciers, Mount Baker, Rainier. So start with Baker, go to Rainier and then climb uh, Denali or Aconcagua internationally. And then when you get those place uh, those uh, experience from there, I will say you're good to go to Everest. But if I need to train someone in Himalayas, I probably I wouldn't train them on Everest. I mean, we do train them on Everest for a few things, such as crossing ladders or reviewing how to repelling, how to using ascenders, uh, you know, how to cross those uh, aluminum ladders and stuff like, like that. But uh, most likely like cramponing, ice axe, crampon rope techniques, uh, they should have uh, known in advance before they come to uh, come to Everest. Uh, otherwise, you know, uh, like if they don't know anything, then probably uh, I will not take those people up with me. Probably I will turn around. Yeah. Did I answer the questions? <laughs> yeah, you you did. I mean, this conversation has been just incredibly uh, powerful. And like Lao Tzu said, um, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. The only way I can do that is to uh, have my own company, uh, being my own boss. Uh, so I run a trip, uh, started my company uh, last year called Kangri, Kangri Experience. Kangri is the uh, meaning in Sherpa is the mountain. So basically is translated to mountain experience. So I do a lot of a trip in Nepal, mostly trekking. I also advertise, uh, advertise and sell some uh, climbing, uh, but uh, mostly I do a lot of trekking in Nepal, and then uh, Africa, Kilimanjaro, and then I will do some climbing trip here in coming summer on Mount Baker. Uh, so that's a fairly new company, but I have run three trips uh, last spring, and I have a trip going on in November, uh, coming November, are and then my uh and probably i'll have more trips going in the future but a summer i'm planning to operate about a five to six trips on mount waker uh, which is for the beginners and stuff like that uh, so all of the trips are based on my schedule and uh also i don't want to work like eight nine months out of a year so it gives me a little bit of flexible uh so uh that's how I started my company. Well, that's 
incredible and it doesn't surprise me. First of all, congratulations on being your own boss, being an entrepreneur, owning your own destiny. And you know what? You've earned every single bit of um, of leisure or however you want to spend your days. It is now up to you. Yeah. I, I know you I know you love the mountains so to to you probably going through the mountains doesn't seem like a job but um you you can do it on your own terms and look Lakpa this is this has been an incredible elucidating and remarkable conversation with you I know the listeners are really going to enjoy this and uh we'll put the link to your company in the show notes and i appreciate your time thank you for joining us thank you very much uh for giving me this uh, opportunity um yeah great to uh meet you thank you thank you we hope you enjoyed today's conversation for information and links about today's guests check out the show notes and visit top of the game dash the pod.com your host, Javier Sade, the show Top of the Game. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.